in the new year. New year means one thing. Everybody asked me, after we finished the first four chapters of Revelation, Pastor, are you going to finish it? And I've said, are you sure you want me to finish it? Because, you know, the next, the next chapters are pretty gruesome stuff. I mean, they are not good. Thank Jesus we're gone by chapter 4, amen? We're out of here. We're before the throne. We are praising God. So everything from 5 through the end, that's not about us. That's about what's going to happen to this world. The reason why we're going to do it, and I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it because I want you to know what the world's going to look like when we're gone. What it's going to look like for our children, our brothers, our sisters, our friends, and our co-workers who do not know Christ. I want you to know what it's going to be like because I want you to know why it's so important that we reach them for Jesus now, that we tell them the truth now. Look at that beautiful picture. When everything changed, you would never know that's the book of Revelation. Would you? You wouldn't know. You would think we're talking about sunshine and daisies and, and flowers. Well, I don't do sunshine, daisies, and flowers. This is the book of Revelation, but this chapter is special. This chapter is dedicated to the glory of the God we serve. I want you to look at it, church. Revelation chapter 5, 1 through 5. Now, you'll be glad to know we're going to go through Revelation at an accelerated rate. It'll take us just 10 weeks. Now, my last church, it took six months, so be happy. If you did it, if you did it the way you should do it, you know, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, it would take a good six months to finish it up. But no, we're going to do this in 10 weeks, a 10-week crash course in the future that you will never see. Are you ready? Revelation 5, 1 through 5, only one person can begin the process of the end. On the History Channel, everybody talks about how the Earth could be wiped out by asteroids, gamma bursts, uh, flying saucers, diseases, rampaging animals, you know, bunnies gone wild, that kind of thing. But that's not how it happens. Only one person can bring the end. Let's read it. Revelation 5, 1 through 5. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look on it. Go on to verse 4. And I cried and cried because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, stop crying. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has been victorious so that he may open the scroll and its seven seals. And the church said what? Amen. That is the one we worship, the one who is worthy. I want you to back up because verse, well, chapter 5, chapter 5 is very important to understand. We saw in chapter 4 the rapture of the church. We are before the throne. We are the kings and priests who worship the Lord. And whenever the living creatures cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, we get on our knees and we throw our crowns at the feet of Jesus. We sang about that. But I want you to look at this. This is what follows immediately afterwards. He looks up, he sees one seated on the throne. Who was on the throne of heaven, church? God Almighty. God Almighty sits on the throne of the universe. He is the creator. He is the master. He is the one. There is no one like our God. That's also a song, by the way. Now it says, in his hand was a scroll written on the inside and on the back. Now notice this. This is very unusual. 
If you're a Jew and you hear this, one thing comes to your mind immediately. In Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, we're not going to look at it, but Ezekiel 2, 9 and 10, there is described a scroll given to Ezekiel. And it is a scroll filled with woes and mourning. That's what the scripture says. And he tells him, you need to eat this. It will be sweet to the taste, but bitter to your stomach. Sweet because the word of God is always sweet. The word of God to his people is always good, no matter whether it comes at a bad time or a good time. But why it's bitter? Because when a pastor or a Christian or a prophet like Ezekiel has to speak the words of God, they are bitter words. There's no comfort in the word of God for the unbeliever especially when facing terrible times. Ezekiel was going to prophesy death, destruction, murder, bloodshed, horrible things, things that he did not want to proclaim. But God gave him the responsibility. We saw earlier in in Revelation, there is a blessing connected with the reading of this book. Why? Because it gives encouragements to the saints that we will overcome We will persevere. We will go to the end because our Father will make sure that we persevere right to the end. We're never going to fail. Now it says that this scroll had writing on the inside and on the back, just like Ezekiel, but it was sealed with seven seals. Now there were two types of scrolls in the ancient world. Typically a title deed to a piece of land or wealth was sealed with seals. Now under the Roman emperors, it was common for a scroll to be taken written on the inside, rolled up, and then a band was wrapped around it, and that band was sealed with how many seals? Seven. The Roman government sealed with seven seals. That was their way of being sure that if those seven seals were intact, that document had not been opened. However, doing a little research, I found out there were some unique documents. These documents were written out They were rolled up one-seventh of the way, and they were sealed. They were rolled up another seventh, and they were sealed again. The purpose was this. I bet you Ken could explain this one to you. The purpose is every seal was to be broken, and then that portion read. When that portion was read, you could not go on until you had read the first section, because the first section set all the terms for everything that followed. So you would break the first seal, You would read it. Then you had to break the second seal. Read it again. This is going to become very familiar to us as we go through the book of Revelation. This idea of having to read the first condition first. And only when the first condition is set can you go on to the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. So very important. This document, just from seeing it, John knows this is very important. Seven seals were official Roman documents typically title deeds. Now, if God is sitting on his throne, what does he have the title deed to? The whole universe. All of creation belongs to God. It's in his hand. And he is looking for the one who has the right, the privilege, the authority to take it and crack those seals. Now, under Roman law, only the rightful owner whose seal appears on the scroll is allowed to break that seal. If anyone other than the owner breaks that seal, that document is no longer good. That was the way of preventing somebody from stealing what belonged to someone else. So he goes on, 
And John sees this and he cries. He's broken in the heart. There's no one that can open this wonderful, magnificent scroll written on the inside and the out. John's thinking, Ezekiel, this is a scroll describing woes and destruction. Yet he wants to know what it is that God has for us. Do you know why people don't read the book of Revelation? Do you know why they don't? They always say, oh, it's too complicated. Oh, it's too mysterious, Pastor. I can't, I can't read that and understand it. That's not why they don't read it. They're scared. They're scared of what they're going to find inside that scroll. They're afraid that if they read it and they believe it, they're going to have to do something about it. Isn't that true? That's always true. You don't want to know the truth because if you don't know the truth, you can claim ignorance. God doesn't accept ignorance as an excuse. He says, I cried because no one was found worthy. Then the elders said, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has been victorious so that he may open the scroll and its seven seals. We know exactly who this is, don't we? Isaiah 11.10, on that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for his people. The nations will seek him and his resting place will be glorious. That's the Messiah, people. That's the man of God. Then it goes on in Romans 15.12. And later, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. The Gentiles will hope in him. That is so critical. The Jews always believed the Messiah was only for them. The Messiah was only for the Jews. That's why they looked for a general, a conquering hero, someone to free them from the Gentiles. Talk about race hatred. The Jews hated everybody that wasn't a Jew because they were taught by their rabbis, not by the word of God. They were taught by their rabbis they were better than everybody else. Here's the thing. Isaiah tells them, no, no. This Messiah will come for the Gentile people. Remember back at Christmas, we studied that the Messiah would come to Galilee of the Gentiles. God's purpose was always to redeem all men. And that's so critically important for us. As we have more and more dealings with NC State, and we have more and more students who come here, that's all the nations, people. That's our chance to fulfill Isaiah, to present the Messiah of the world to everyone. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that amazing? Why would you not want to read this? Why would you want to be ignorant of what God is doing? So here comes the lamb, the lamb who was slain, the Passover lamb, the spotless, pure lamb of God whose blood wipes away our sin. This is the one who has come. Look at this, Revelation 5. 6 through 10, only one is the redeemer of all creation. Remember I told you that scroll can only be opened by the rightful owner. Now God made everything, but if you remember the scriptures, he made it through who? Jesus Christ. That's right. Take a look at this. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb, standing between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the, notice where, notice where the lamb is, among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He came and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Now remember, 
Worshiping anyone other than God is against everything that the Bible stands for. So already you know who this lamb is. They would never fall before an angel. They would never fall before a person. They can only fall before who? God Almighty. Each one had a harp and gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Okay, for those of you who like to know where things come from, the reason why we see angels always with little harps is here. This is why. They, they totally misunderstand. The harps are not in the hands of the angels. The harps are in the hands of the 24 elders. Because harps represent praise to God. The temple was supposed to be filled with the music of God's people praising the Lord. Worship is one of the most important things we can do. It's what you're going to do for the rest of eternity, church. If you think, oh, I don't like singing and playing music and all of this stuff. I just like the sermon. Well, first of all, thank you very much. But no sermons in heaven. The sermons will be done. Pastors will have a day off. Thank you, Jesus. It's all about worship. It's all about praising God. That's what we do for eternity. We praise. So for all of you who don't like praising, you better get in shape because that's all we have to do in heaven. So it says it. Of course, go back up. This is kind of a creepy picture if you don't understand it. Jews love imagery. Jews love imagery. So it says the lamb was, was standing between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. Now it says slaughtered. That means it's bloody. It's a bloody lamb. There are many people who will tell you Jesus bears in his flesh the memory of Calvary even into eternity. How do we know that? Because when Jesus appeared to the disciples after the resurrection, what did he still have? The wounds in his hands and his feet and his side. Jesus bears for eternity the scars of the wounds we inflicted on him on that cross. That's what he bears for eternity for our sake. So the lamb appears to be as one who was slaughtered. Seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent to all the earth. This is not physically a lamb with seven eyes or seven horns. That's just creepy. Seven is the number of completeness. Okay? A horn is the representation of power. So this lamb has complete power, absolute authority. This lamb is sovereign. Those of you who got through the Baptist faith, the message, you know what sovereign means. This lamb is sovereign, all power. This lamb has seven eyes. Now, if you remember in the Old Testament, we went through this already. The seven spirits of God look throughout the world, look throughout the earth, trying to find out if there's any righteous people, if there's anything going on. This lamb has absolute knowledge of everyone and everything. This lamb has perfect power, perfect knowledge. So only this lamb could be Jesus Christ. This is who Christ is now in heaven. This is who he represents. So that's what they see. They see one who is perfect in power, perfect in wisdom, one who has made the perfect sacrifice, a lamb without spot or blemish, no sin. Then verse 9 says this, And they, meaning those elders, sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you redeemed people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. Church, you need to underline that. That's important for you to understand. 
Your purpose is not to fly around with little wings and play on harps and a diaper in the clouds. That's not what your purpose is. We get out of here before the ugly starts, but we come back. Because in Matthew it says that the bridesmaids go out to the bridegroom and they escort him back to his bride. We are raptured from this world not just to save us from pain and suffering and anguish, but so that we can escort the bridegroom to his throne in Jerusalem. That's our purpose. We escort the bridegroom back. And it says we will reign over the earth with the Lord our God. Now, I want to focus on this one thing. They sang a new song. If you go through the book of Psalms, Psalm 40, Psalm 96, Psalm 144, even Isaiah 42 always encourages people to sing a new song to the Lord. Sing a new song. It's always an encouragement to God's people. It's never an encouragement to the angels. What do the angels always say, by the way? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The angels' song doesn't change. Why? Because the angels don't change. Those who rebelled against God are eternally bound in chains of darkness, book of Titus. Those who are faithful to God remain in heaven with him. Angels cannot be redeemed. You understand that? The angels who rebelled against God were never, will never be redeemed. Only God's people, only man, the descendants of Adam and Eve, only we can be redeemed. That is why Christ died, to redeem us. And that is why we sing a new song. We sing a new song to God because he has redeemed us. Look at that. You are worthy to take the scroll to open its, its seals because you were slaughtered. You redeemed people by your blood from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You made them, or us, some translations say, you made us a kingdom and priests to our God. Remember I told you, the 24 elders are both kings and priests. And right here, they're performing the function of the priest. They've got those bowls of incense. You know, they've got the harps to praise God. They're performing the function of a priest. But they sit with crowns upon their head upon thrones. They are kings. That is the church. That is us. Only Christ could redeem all of creation. Now, as we start talking about all of this, you're going to see that the biggest problem to come at the end of time is the problem we have today. People don't know who Jesus is. Guess what? There's only one opinion that is correct. He is the eternal God. He is the second member of the Trinity. He is the Lord Almighty. He is the one who said, no man comes to the Father except by me. Mormons don't get it. Jehovah's Witnesses don't get it. Buddhists don't get it. Hindus, they don't get it. This sounds very narrow-minded and very closed-door, doesn't it? Just say yes, because it does sound very narrow-minded and very closed-door. Guess what? When you are absolutely 100% correct, you can afford to be narrow-minded, closed-door, and everything else. Because Jesus leads only one way to heaven. And that's exactly what's going on here. He is letting them know, I have redeemed it by my blood, by my sacrifice, by the scars I still bear in my hands and my feet and my side, I redeemed you. And that's why we worship him. 
That's why he is the only way to heaven. All apologies to Oprah and the rest. Here's the truth. This is when everything changes. The church is raptured in chapter 4, but Christ comes and begins everything in chapter 5. Let's finish it up. Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Only one is worthy of our praise. In this life, people will want you to be divided. They will want you to praise good people, kind people, generous people. I love how when someone like Carnegie or Rockefeller dies, they turn them into saints when they live most of their lives as money-grubbing, whip-snapping sinners. Read the story of Carnegie or Rockefeller. These were not good people. These were not kind people. At the end of their life, in fear of hell, they changed and did good things. But did they ever come to saving faith in Jesus Christ? Lillian was dead on. Our good works mean nothing to God. Our good works mean absolutely nothing. You could be at church every day. You could give the pastor $10,000. No, you can do whatever you want to do. It's not going to win God's approval. What wins God's approval? What do we do to work the works of God? Believe in him whom God has sent. That's it. Nothing else matters. Nothing else wins his approval. Nothing else helps. You can't be halfway to heaven. You know what halfway to heaven really is? Fully in hell. That's what halfway to heaven is. You know what it means to get to the door of heaven and not knock? In hell. John 3.16 is everybody's favorite verse, but I prefer 3.18. Look it up sometime. So those who are in Christ are not condemned. But those who don't are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. To say I'm not sure is to deny Jesus. Does that mean we don't love them? No. Does that mean we don't try to reach them? No. Does that mean they're going to hell? Absolutely. Revelation is very clear. And if you're going to get past chapter 5, you've got to believe one thing. If you are not a believer, you will not go up in the rapture. If you don't go up in the rapture, all the ugly that's about to happen is going to happen to you. And I can't stop it. I can't change it. I can't help you. I can't save you. I once, I once made a joke that when the rapture comes, I'm going to reach out my hand and take my wife by one hand and my daughter by the other, and we're going to go up. And this lady, this little Korean lady says, Oh! Does that mean I can save my unsaved children? I said, no, no, no. It doesn't mean that. Because in the Korean church, they really do think that you can save your children by your faithfulness. I don't know where that lie of the devil comes from. Why should I do? It comes from the devil. You can't save anybody except you. Only you can be saved by your choices. Now, the example that you set, the standard that you hold up, that is critical. Look at this, Revelation 5, 11 through 14. All that was to frame this. Only one is worthy of our praise. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and also of the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. They said with a loud voice, The Lamb who was slaughtered is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Guess what? 
All of that is reserved for God Almighty. So Jesus Christ is who? God. Not a lower God, not a descendant of God, not an earthborn child of God, but he is God himself. And that has to be settled. Verse 13. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and dominion to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Oh, this is so glorious. This is Christ receiving everything that the Father had promised him when he was on earth and when he suffered. If you ever wonder why you suffer as a Christian, why you have to draw lines in the sand, why you have to make harsh decisions and say those bitter things that Ezekiel had to say, this is why. Because there is stored up for us in heaven something magnificent. And if we sell Jesus as anything less than the absolute God of heaven, we may get to heaven ourselves, but we are depriving our friends of the opportunity to receive that too. If we tell somebody, oh, it doesn't matter what church you go to, doesn't matter what God you believe in, just be sincere. Guess what? You can be sincerely wrong. You can be a committed member of a church that doesn't worship Jesus, and guess what? You're still going to hell. And we can't change that. Because this presents Christ as God himself. And if he is God, then there is no other. There's no other way. Not goodness, not works, not kindness. I hate to say that, but that is the truth of God's word. And that's why nobody likes the book of Revelation. Because it says, you who believe in Christ are going, everybody else, you're damned. And in our American culture in 2013, that is not popular. But guess what? It's still true. It's absolutely true. Consider this. Philippians 2, 9. For this reason God highly exalted him, speaking of Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me explain that. Because I want to explain all this. There are those people who believe that for some reason there's going to be animals in heaven. People want to believe that their dog Fido and their cat Snowball make it into heaven. Hate to bust your bubble, even my much beloved fish ain't going to make it to heaven. Okay, I love the fish, but when, he, when he's gone, he goes down the porcelain drain and there it is. He's gone. Animals don't get to heaven. Now it says this though, all of creation praises God. They told Jesus, tell your disciples to be quiet. He says, if I tell them to be quiet, the very rocks will cry out with praise for God. Creation does groan under the sin that we've inflicted on it. That's why we have earthquakes and tidal waves and tsunamis, stuff like that. We messed up the earth and now the earth suffers. But the earth praises God. This is just a way of saying that God receives praise from everything. He says this, of those who are in heaven, of course the angels praise God, amen? That's their purpose. They praise God. Of those who are on the earth, that's us. We praise God, don't we? 
Every morning we wake up, Lord, thank you that my knees hurt and my back hurts and I'm still as blind as a bat and I have less hair than I had last year. But thank you, Jesus, I am still here. That's why my prayers in the morning are long. I got to list everything I've lost and then hang on to what I got left. That's how we should live. As every day is a blessing. Every day should be filled with praise for the God we serve. Sometimes we lose our jobs. And sometimes we lose our homes. And right now in this economy, a lot of people have lost homes and jobs. But don't despair. God does not abandon his people. I'm telling you that. He does not abandon his people. I've been in some bad situations in my life, and I've been dead broke, and God never left me alone. It took a while sometimes to get out of it, but God never leaves you alone. That's the truth of it. Now, it says this here, too. It says everything that is under the earth will praise God. Now, why would it say that? What's under the earth? Apart from earthworms and, you know, nuclear silos and stuff. What's under the earth? Remember for the Jews and for the Greeks, by the way. For the Jews and the Greeks, Sheol or Hades was under the earth. Under the earth was the place of waiting where all creatures waited for judgment day. Even the Vikings had their Ragnarok, the end of the world, the end of the gods. But everything waits under the earth for the day of judgment. So when he says everything under the earth praises God, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. That's what this is all about. That's why John said, I heard every creature on earth, and in heaven, on earth, under the earth, in the sea, and everything in them. All creation praises God. Consider lastly, Psalm 148, 148. Psalm 148, starting at verse 7. Give him a second to pull that one up. Psalm 148, verse 7. Praise the Lord from the earth. All sea monsters and ocean depths. Those of you who believe in, in sea serpents, this is your verse right here. Okay. All sea monsters and ocean depths. Lightning and hail, snow and cloud, powerful wind that executes his command, mountains and all trees, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals, all cattle, creatures that crawl and flying birds, kings of the earth and all people, princes and all judges on the earth, young men as well as young women, old and young together. Let them praise the name of Yahweh, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty covers the heavens and the earth. Man, that's one you should have written on your house. If I had a house, I would, I would inscribe that on the front wall of the house. Everything that is created should praise God. Now, can a hailstorm really praise God? No, but can God direct hailstorms? Yes, he can. Ask the Egyptians. They know. Here's the thing. Everything is subject to the will of God. Everything is subject to his direction. If God wants to stop a lightning strike, God can stop a lightning strike. If God wants to dry up the rain so the crops die, yeah, he did that to Ahab for three years. God can do whatever he wants to do. This is just a poetic way of saying everything should praise God because he is the master of all things. Now let me ask you, people, in your life, is there some aspect of your life that you think God is not God of? Is God the God of your finances? Say yes. You don't like that, but it's the yes. You know, I, I was watching this morning, and I think it was Charles Stanley was talking. No, it wasn't. It was David Jeremiah was talking about tithing. That's how you know a pastor has some security. When he can preach on tithing and don't get fired, it's a good day. 
Anyways, David Jeremiah is preaching about tithing. He says, tithing is giving back to God what God already owns. He just wants to see if you have the integrity to return what's his. See, I haven't preached that sermon yet. Well, I just did, actually. Anyways, I just love that David Jeremiah could do that, could speak those words, because it's true. What part of our lives is God not God of? Is he God of our thoughts, our fantasies, our hopes, and our dreams? The plans that we make for the future. Scripture says, don't be arrogant. Don't say, uh, tomorrow I will go to this country or that country, and I will stay a year. I will invest money. I will make money and come home rich. He said, don't do that. Instead, say this. If God is willing, then I will go, and I will prosper, and I will, I will return if God is willing. 2013 should be your year of if God is willing, if God is willing, I will do these things. If God is willing, I will follow him no matter how he takes me. Let me give you the one last one that you don't want to give up, but I'm going to hit you right between the eyes, church. What if God wants your children? Stop and think. What if God tells your children, I want you to go sacrifice, be a minister in a broke backwater country, where you will die of a common illness that you could have cured if you were here in the States, but you will die of in that country, but you will die for my glory and my honor. Is it okay for God to take your children away from you and let them die in a foreign country for his honor? Consider that. Don't say yes or no. Because I went to a church once, and I was only passing through so I could do this. And I had a group of parents just like you in front of me. In fact, right in front, I had the pastor's wife right here. I had the pastor's wife in front of me, and I knew it too. I said, how many of you love Jesus? Yes, yes, yes. How many of you believe that ministry is good? Yes, yes, yes. How many of you missionaries are fantastic? Yes, yes, yes. How many of you want your children to quit being engineers and start being ministers? Not a word. Not a woman in that thing said anything. The pastor's wife said nothing. Because their son was an engineering major at Aggieland, you know, Texas A&M. I said, you mean you don't want your son to give up a $100,000 a year career just to be a pastor? This is the pastor's wife, remember? She says, no. I said, why? I didn't raise him for that. I said, okay. What you raise your children to value, they will value. And if you don't teach them to value God over money and over security, they will not value God over money and over security. My parents thought I was nuts to do what I did. We left, a, we left a job that had government security, government retirement, buttloads of holidays. I mean, we didn't hardly work at all. We had our own offices. We had like 16-hour lunches. You know, it was great. When you work for the government, it's really good. Didn't do anything. What did we do? We moved to a little church in the middle of nowhere. She had to look up the place on a map, and it wasn't even there. It was like, it's over here somewhere. Took a salary cut by like two-thirds. <laughs> I didn't care. God said, go there. So you know what? We go there. Because if you're trusting God by making plans for money, making plans for a safe career, making plans for what you think is good, it'll always fail. If you look at what God is doing in the lives of your children and you give them into the hands of a God who knows a whole lot more than you do, 
They will prosper and bring glory to the Lord. That's what chapter 5 is all about. If heaven is about glorifying God, falling on our knees, throwing down our crowns, then we should start to model that on this earth, right here, right now, with the decisions and the sacrifices that we make. Now, right now, you're thinking, no, the pastor doesn't know what he's talking about. It's a, it's a bad economy, and there's only a few safe jobs out there. And who do you think you're talking to? Been there and done that a hundred times. I'm telling you this. You follow God, you will be safe. You do what you think is safe, and God will land you in pig slop where you have to run home to your daddy and apologize for not listening the first time. Be careful to raise your children to honor the Lord above everything, every situation, every contention. God took care of you this far, amen? Amen. You're here not because you're smart, not because you're talented, but because God desires you to be here for his glory. And if he took care of you, he can sure take care of your children, amen? amen? All right, so all creation waits for God, but do you? I've told you my favorite story, going to the Christian bookstore and I tell the lady, Hey, it looks like Jesus is going to come back. And she says, I hope not. What? I got a grandchild to be born. You know, she wanted Jesus to wait for that grandchild before he came back. Guess what? God ain't going to wait for nobody. One, only Christ can redeem lost men. So the question is, have you been redeemed? If you can settle that question, then everything that we study in the book of Revelation means nothing to you. Understand. If you have been redeemed, everything from chapter 5 on means nothing to you. Because you're going to be in heaven, worshiping the Lord, praising God, glorifying his name, while he unleashes hell on this earth. And it gets ugly next chapter, because next chapter you meet the four horsemen. And you know already what they are and what they represent. Now, first question, though, two, only Christ has the deed to the earth. It is not ours it's his. This is his world. He can, unleash what, he can unleash whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants. Tsunamis, hurricanes, typhoons, anything. It's God's world. We can't tell him how to handle it. What will you do when he exercises his right to it? That goes back to that first question. Because he's going to come back for his world. He's going to get his people out of the way first. But let's say you're sitting here and you go, I don't believe it. I don't believe God's going to take the church up. I don't believe God's going to unleash hell. We're just going to get better and better and kinder and kinder. And if you believe that, I would say look at the last 20 years of existence. Hey, 20 years, that's pretty good. Look at the last 20 years. Has this country gotten better? No. Has the world gotten better? No. Have people gotten kinder and sweeter and more gentle? No. Are men any more faithful? No. Have women gotten better looking? Yes. Let's get kidding. No. That was to make you think. It's okay. The world is not going to get better. It's, we're not going to get smarter. There's no going to be no Star Trek future for us. We don't come out on top. God's going to do what he's going to do. Last one. Only the redeemed will sing the new song with those in heaven. So the question is, will you be there to sing it with us? I know I'm going. I know I'm out of this place as soon as the rapture happens. I mean, if it's the middle of the sermon, poof, if I'm not standing here and you are, (laughs) you're in such trouble. You really are. You are in such trouble. Go back to the website, listen to all my last year and a half of sermons, and get saved. Because if if this all goes poof, you know it's in trouble now. 
I mean that seriously. You need to, wait, really. I'm firmly convinced in my last church, over half of the people weren't saved. I tried my darndest, but you know, you can only save so many. Really, if the day comes and the world turns on its ear and you're still here, you need to jump back immediately and examine the decisions that you made and what you thought you believed. Because I'm, I'm convinced Christ is not far away. It's not going to be another 100 years or 200 years. I'm not going to say it's tomorrow. I'm not going to say it's in five minutes. Well, that'd be good, though. Five minutes would be good. I'm just saying he's coming back. And you have to be ready, church. You have to think it through. You need to be sure that you are in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you <coughs> for this day. Lord, thank you for bringing us to this place, for showing us through the book of Revelation, Father, what our future looks like in heaven. Father, I am excited to be before you, to praise you, to lay my crown down before you, to hold up the sacrifice of the saints. Father, I'm excited to see those halls of heaven, to be the bridesmaid who goes out with the Spirit, ready to go. Father, I only ask one thing. Prepare me for that day. Father, let me redeem the time I have left on this earth. Let me redeem my time by warning others of what's to come. Father, help me to be ready to go at any moment. But Father, help me always to seek to save that which is lost. And Lord, I pray that right now, everybody here will be looking at their own hearts, will be looking into their own spirits, and Father God, being sure that they are in the faith. For Father, as we come to the Lord's Supper, as we come, then we know that we have to be prepared. We have to be ready. And Father, I just ask you, as we sing now, as we prepare ourselves, Father, let us be ready to receive your supper this day. In Jesus' name.